Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we watch this evening? We just watched the April 1st, 1978 edition of the Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys program. The episode was entitled Arson in Old Lace. (laughs) Stars uh, Sean Cassidy, Parker Stevenson, Ed Gilbert, the great Joseph Cotton, William Schallert, the uh, gymnast slash Peter Pan, Kathy Rigby. (laughs) Jack Kelly, who, of course, you know best is uh, from The Maverick Show. Pernell Roberts, who you're always raving about his performance on Trapper John, M.D. (laughs) And we meet Janet Julian, 
was a brand new Nancy Drew. So before we get into this, um, maybe let's talk. What what uh, what do you think prompted this star-studded cast? What what were they trying to do here? Uh, <laughs> would you call? <laughs> so you're saying this Ed Gilbert, Janet Julian, William Schallert cast is star-studded? You know, I mean, I think that's what they were going for. I think they were going for a bunch of people where they were like, "Oh, it's that guy." Mm. And I have I posit a theory. And I think I think what we're about to talk about will bear me out. I think love that, it when you pause it. Uh huh. You love it when I pause it. Um, so not four years earlier, the Towering Inferno came out, and let me tell you, the Towering Inferno looms over this episode quite largely. It, it, it's it, it's basically somebody sat down, watched the Towering Inferno, and we're like, we're gonna do that the best we can with the Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys show. And does it work? No, not at all, not a fucking all. No, it, it, go, it goes why, up why, in smoke. It it goes up in smoke. Why would you even want to try to do something like that, even on a regular TV show's budget, let alone the budget of this program, which is like a nickel? Kevin, I wouldn't do this to my worst enemy. <laughs> this is this episode sucks. <laughs> <laughs> To go to go with the arson theme, this this episode burns down my respect for this program and salts the earth like Carthage. This 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 is god awful. But I just find it amusing when you have shows that are clearly drawing a huge inspiration for something else, especially something that it's not really appropriate. I don't know why you'd watch Towering Inferno and say, you know what, this mystery show, we need a Towering Inferno episode. <laughs> Maybe there's an interesting story that you could do where people are trying to solve a mystery and it's complicated by a big fire but this ain't it folks this ain't it <laughs> this ain't it fire chiefs and chief tesses or whatever the hell i i don't even know what i'm saying <laughs> this this episode broke my brain on so many levels it's so bad god damn it but it's funny it's it's amusingly bad and it's a it's an episode about arson so i don't think that's what they're going for <laughs> actually some things are too disturbing well here's what i'm gonna say Arson's obviously a horrific crime, not the worst crime that's committed in this episode. I'm not even jokingly referring to the bad writing crimes. I'm saying like there's a horrific crime at the heart of this episode. And I really feel like this was not the show to try to put this forward. <laughs> this was not qualified. <laughs> and I'm not saying like it's kind of like it's like I'm, I'm the ish, I, before we get into the content, the subject matter. I want to say the issue isn't that you can't portray dramatic, horrible things happening to characters. Just like it's okay for a surgeon to cut into your chest in order to do heart surgery. But it's not okay for Buddy down the street to do that because <laughs> he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And that's how I feel about the subject matter discussed in this in this episode. It's Buddy down the street, you know, pushing you down, jamming a knife into your chest and being like, well, your heart was broken. I was trying to fix your ticker. And it's like, Ugh, Buddy. Anyway, rant rant over. Let's uh let's Well, I'm ready for rant number two, mm. which is <laughs> It's gonna be a lot of rants. I'm a bit fiery for this one. <laughs> a lot of unvarnished takes ahead for us tonight. Uh you were a big fan of the actress who played Nancy Drew on the series, Pamela Sue Martin. Yeah, Pamela she... Sue Martin does not appear as Nancy Drew in this episode. What are your feelings on that matter? Um and I'm gonna go out and take a powder. Yeah, you're gonna go out and <laughs> Go hit the, go sit on the sidewalk on the stoop with your head in your hands. Um, 
So uh, this, uh, well, Pamela Sue Martin was a great Nancy Drew, in my opinion. She just had a very, like, she brought a relatability, but a kind of a, a gravitas. Like, she brought, like, a a kind of, like, take no bullshit attitude toward the role. Like, you didn't feel like, you felt like she was determined and she was, like, very smart and competent. Like, you didn't, she was not um, soft or wishy-washy or anything like that. Like, you felt like this, like, she... If, like if you if you like did something wrong, you feel like she would like brutally call you out in a really specific and accurate way, and you just feel so embarrassed. You know what I mean? And I think that's what a, a good Nancy Drew has, like a toughness, right? You know, not not trying super hard, like oh, what a tough girl she like wrestles, you know, as good as any guy. I just mean like a toughness in terms of her character. I think a Nancy good Nancy role should have something like that, and she was she brought that. Um, I I don't really even like want to shit on the actress who's playing Nancy here. It's just a totally different character. And the character is just stripped of any agency. Forget toughness, agency. And it's it's disturbing to me. It's disturbing. And I'm sure it was a bit freaky for some of the young women watching this if they're used to kind of this one portrayal of like a very competent woman who can kill her own snakes going to what we see in this one, which is not the <laughs> just a mess. Just a mess. Obviously, any character can be in trouble and need help. That's not the problem here. The problem here is that the character goes from one thing to something completely different, and it's it's horrible. Yeah, the character is really weak in this. And so I, just before we get into it, I'm, mm. I'm just wondering, hypothetically, would this story have worked for you better if instead of Nancy Drew, it was just like Nancy, an old school friend of the Hardy Boys, who isn't a famous resourceful investigator just an average lady um the short answer yes i still think and we're gonna get into it we're sorry to oh tease we're gonna you. get into we're it we're gonna get into it but to, to not to tease you too much but the subject matter would still be i think way too disturbing for the nancy drew and hardy boy show to tackle in an effective way that would make it okay you know what i mean but that is so much better than what happened because it the, it's doubly disturbing because what's happening is disturbing and the fact that it's happening to Nancy Drew who's this kind of aspirational super competent lady and has been built up with as that for the whole series it makes it doubly disturbing so if this were any other character and just a missing person they were looking for i would still be like yikes but i would i would not be like i would not feel like oh god what the fuck you know i might yeah. might be let a little bit less harsh on it because you might be like, well, maybe that could happen to somebody. But, like, that's not that's not Nancy. It's not Nancy at all. No. Oh, God, this fucking episode. <laughs> Makes me want to drink a glass of arsenic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> um, You're not the only one because at the beginning of the episode, Nancy's father, Carson Drew, is himself already distraught and sad. He's in a restaurant holding up a newspaper and says every time i look at this headline it makes me very sad and this is a six-month-old newspaper if looking at this six-month-old newspaper makes him sad why is he carrying it around with him wherever he goes maybe he cut eye holes into it and like holds it up to his face so he could be a super spy <laughs> um, or maybe he made it makes it into a cool hat sometimes to wear no, it's <laughs> I wish. I wish. Yeah, it's almost weird because so the he the thing he said about in the headline is 
investigator Nancy Drew disappears. It's the it's the front page headline on the newspaper. Maybe he, in a way he's proud of her for making the front page, even though she it was for her going missing. So like if if I pass away tomorrow, are you gonna like clip out my obituary? And like carry it around with you wherever you go and periodically pull it out and say, you know, folks, every time I look at this, it makes me sad. Yep. I'll, I'd probably be more likely to do like a weird shrine thing like like John Malkovich in the line of fire kind of style. People would come into my room and be like, oh, my God, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that's more of my style. I'm not I'm not showy. I'm a, I'm a little subtle. I'm a little shy. Yeah, that's, I'm not that's like what other, I love about you, baby. I'm not like other girls. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, so yeah, he's sad. He's carrying around this old news. And not just the article about Nancy. He's carrying around the whole edition of the paper. Like he has to remind himself that his daughter went missing. And also everything else that happened on that day. Well, see, we were, dear Abby had to say that day. (laughs) He wants to see what the funnies, what was, uh, (laughs) what was little Abner up to? What was Hagger the Horrible doing? (laughs) What are those guys up to? Yeah. You want to remember everything, obviously. So he's hanging out at this restaurant with. Uh, the Hardy Boys, mm-hmm. Frank and Joe, and their father, Fenton. And he says, well, you know, this makes me really sad, but you know, I know Nancy's dad. <laughs> so Sir. it's a real fun, it's a gay affair. Sir, this is a Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> and and they all look depressed. And then, <laughs> you know how like sometimes you don't talk all day and then you say something to someone and it comes out really weird? Like, you're like... <laughs> Kevin, like, like it, like doesn't sound like you. That's what Sean Cassidy sounds like when he asks, basically, "Do you think you could tell us what happened again?" He sounds so awkward. It sounds like he hasn't spoken in hours, and he looks really nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like he knows he's gonna get into some dumb shit today, and he's being all squirrely about it. It's like Carson's obviously sad and depressed, so he says, "I got an idea, Carson. I know what will help." Why don't you tell us all about the tragic demise of your daughter yet again? It's weird because, like, William Shallert seems like he's like, I'm really sad. Can you pass the nachos, Frank? I mean, like, he doesn't say that, but this, like, <laughs> just like, what are they doing? It's like, I know for a fact she's dead, but, you know, I'm going to go on TV and plead for her return. And he just seems like really like he's totally given up and, like, you. And it's been six months. You'd kind of hope that he would, even if he knew she was dead he'd keep looking for her or figuring out doesn't seem i mean wouldn't you give me at least seven months i would i would give you seven minutes (laughs) (laughs) oh he's not back from the grocery store but i guess he (laughs) better start selling his things (laughs) you better never be late with me or you're gonna be in for a big surprise (laughs) i'll have a a novelty newspaper printed up being like (laughs) And then he's staring at us sadly. Attorney Kevin uh, Kevin Greenlee disappears, and then I'll be showing it to like people outside. I'll be like, "Yeah, it was pretty sad." Like, who are you? What are you? Why are you talking to us with this fake newspaper? And then you'll go into the house, and I'll have like a big shrine set up. <laughs> then you'll really want to disappear on me. God, would you give up? How long would it take for you to give up on me? At least seven months. At least seven months. And then, I'll, then I'll write you off. Ah, who needs her? <laughs> Good riddance to bad rubbish. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so we do learn, though, in this depressing uh, scene at Applebee's or whatever the 1978 equivalent was, uh, that Nancy disappeared while 
investigating the Dellert Corporation. She found that their CEO was embezzling, blah, blah, blah. The police nailed the CEO. He was indicted, went to jail. She and her dad were, you know, celebrating like you do. Oddly enough, they were having dinner at a restaurant. They were going to Panera Bread, hitting up some... I bet he probably had the newspaper with his wife's obituary in it from like 10 years earlier. Yeah. You know, Nancy, every time I look at this... This headline, it makes me sad. And to get away from this just morose, sad-eyed man, she, of course, goes outside into the cold and is holding up a big map, like you do, I guess, in 1978 before GPS. And she gets grabbed by someone and almost does, like, a dancer move and is, like, flipped into this old Chevy and it speeds off. And you don't see her. You don't see her at all. You don't see her face. You just see her from behind. Which is odd. I thought it was because they were trying to... You do see her picture in this scene. I almost thought it was like they were trying to ease us into the new Nancy. They were like, you know, you know, like, we're not going to show... We're not going to blast her face immediately. And then when you see her, she's... Well, I won't spoil it, but she looks different. So it's like trying to trick the viewer of like, did she always look like that? Like the like the audience is full of idiots. <sighs> You're genuinely angry about this episode. <laughs> you feel that this episode has insulted your intelligence. Yes. Yeah. And no, not just my intelligence. I I read the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew growing up. I was a Stratmeyer syndicate kid. Basically a strange old person in a young person's body <laughs> to this day. And it's like, to me, this is insulting. I... I really wanted to be like Nancy Drew as a little girl. And this is like, you're taking, like, imagine for you if, if like, and listen, I don't care. It's kid stuff. I know, I, I'm not, I know I'm taking it too seriously, but like, I'm sure a part of you, if like someone really fucked up a Superman story would be like kind of disgusted and feel like, what did I just see? And that's how I feel watching this. You know, you know frankly, if, if this was all I knew of Nancy Drew and I watched this episode, <laughs> And you said, you know, Kevin, I always dreamed of being just like that. <laughs> that would make me very sad for you. I would <laughs> even suggest some psychiatric help. <laughs> yes, some psychiatric help because it would be pretty serious. <laughs> pretty hardcore stuff. You need more than just a clergyman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. need more than just a, a sympathetic fire chief. <laughs> but we'll get to him later. That's the mystery. Nancy's missing, and they're going to try to find her. And Fenton, who's a retired NYPD detective, at least in the books, I don't know what the hell he's supposed to be in the 70s series, but he says, we're going to try one more time, and that's it, and then we're done. No, he says, we're going to try one more time to find Nancy. Yeah. They're so, in L.A., by the way, to be clear. Not sure why. So, so or, or like, Isn't I, the Towering Inferno set in L.A.? Yeah, and they're there because Carson's going to go on TV to talk about his daughter. But so like, Fenton, and she went missing in from LA. So like, Fenton and Carson are like friends. Uh, in the in the okay, well, it's a complicated question. In this, you have a number. In it, typically, just to give you a sense, if you never watched the show, love the show. I mean, a lot of it's pretty fun. This is just a terrible episode. Um, Nancy, it, it'll alternate usually for like, here's an episode of Nancy Drew, and here's an episode of the Hardy Boys, and then at a certain point. They started doing crossovers. So it'd be like Nancy Drew meets the Hardy Boys and they're going to all have adventures together. So you can assume that in this case they would, they would become friends. He's a lawyer. He's a 
retired detective who's now, I guess, a private eye. So they work in a you know similar business. They're buds. But you know, like like when I was a kid and I was friends with somebody, I wouldn't expect my parents to become friends with their parents. Well, That's I mean, I'm, I'm not. Maybe the, maybe they just hit it off. Why? <laughs> maybe there's no expectations. <laughs> that is. Plain as it lays. So you yeah. see what happens. Yeah. I don't think the kids were like, you guys need to sit down and become best friends. Well, these guys need to be close. Well, listen, I mean, maybe you kind of bond to the people helping you try to find your daughter when she went missing six months ago. So maybe it's a relatively new friendship, but Carson feels supported by Fenton. What are these names? Carson, Fenton. Like, what? <laughs> oh, Jesus. In the books, like, Carson always seemed, like, super competent. Like, he's this, like, sparkly-eyed lawyer who's always like, I'm secretly fucking crazy or whatever, you know? And, like, he's always involved in all this crazy cases and shit. But, like, he mostly holds his own. Fenton, I feel like, gets kidnapped every other book. You know, every other book he is in trouble or fucking around. And so, like... But obviously, the attorney is a much more heroic figure who can... Take care of himself. Yeah. It's just the lowly police detective oh. who needs all the help. Is that what you're saying? You know, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I think that. <laughs> I think you're a little biased there, Kevin. No, I'm, I'm saying that just that seems very realistic. Where's the reporter? Where's the journalist parent? That's what I want to know. So, what kind of a detective teen sleuth would a, the journalist parent have? What, a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what the Bobsy twins' parents did. Oh. A minute wasn't there uh wasn't there that thing you got for me for christmas wasn't the daughter of a newspaper editor oh, yeah, i guess that's true there you go uh what, what was that called uh, of course this this series of books that made such an impression on you is the penny parker series written by meredith wirt benson who was an early ghost writer on the uh, nancy drew series ah yeah uh that was the cool lady who was also a reporter and who had like all these like lifetime adventures and was like total badass right so can i ask you uh do you have any theories or explanations or is it just a wild coincidence that both these teen sleuth families have a father but no mother isn't that kind of common in a lot of children's media why is there a missing mother i don't know i don't know i don't i don't really have any psychological insights on that maybe to kind of be like Oh, well, she can be forgiven for being a little wild. She didn't have a lady around to raise her up or something, you know? And maybe the the father has to, like, do stuff more and nobody is around to tell them no. You know, like, don't go off and do that. Well, the other Hardy Boys are missing a mother, too. No, they're not. They're not? No. Yeah, I know. Laura Hardy's in the books. She always makes them, like, pies and chicken and stuff. But maybe with a girl, they felt like, oh, a mother should be around to tell them to stop doing what they're doing. So, you know, I don't know. It's interesting, though. Yeah. So at this point, to get back to, I think we're about to enter page two of our notes. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's page two of, like, 37. It's going to be a long night. (laughs) We have a lot of thoughts on this that we're going to share with you, dear listeners. (laughs) So at this point, they go to police headquarters. I, I believe it's police. The Hardys. The Hardys. Because, of course, Nancy, she's obviously dead. Obviously. It's hopeless, Anya. Give it up. No. Get over this Nancy Drew fixation. 
She's gone. She's gone. I'm going to set you on fire. So they go to police headquarters to talk about this open case with one of the investigators on the case. And so naturally, he takes out all the relevant case evidence and lets them paw through it. Go nuts. Hey, we think that might have DNA on it. You know, feel free to throw it in the wash or something. Jesus. It's like letting a bunch of Boy Scouts come and look through a crime scene that you're investigating. It makes no sense. It's very bad policing. And he's like creepy. He's like chuckling off Fenton Hardy's kids. I think this guy might have killed Nancy. He's acting so fucking weird. And then he makes a really heinous statement. Which is? If we can't find her, she just doesn't exist anymore. What? That's a, yeah, that's fucking Schrodinger's Nancy for you. I, I don't even know if that reference is accurate because I, I don't really understand what Schrodinger's cat is. But my point is, why would you, why would you say that to the loved ones of a missing woman? Why would you even let them look at the evidence? Why is this character in the goddamn episode? He doesn't add anything. It doesn't make any sense. Why can't the Hardy boys just be going at this on their own? Because that would be frankly more realistic. There's a lot of things they could have done differently. <sighs> Just honestly, we're getting, we're, we're nitpicking. We're nitpicking. And these are pretty serious problems with it. Cause they just don't really go anywhere and they don't really add anything. It's not like the detective comes back and like helps them. But I'm just telling you, we're not even, we're not even scratching the surface of, of how bad this episode is. And this surface is in desperate need of being scratched. This is, this is a tangled web. I would say perhaps as tangled as a, a sheet of old lace. Oh, Anya. Because it looks kind of tangled. I don't know. Well, why, why, why do you do it? <laughs> why do you do it? I gotta it? have some fun somehow on this god-awful fucking mess. So I, I think at this point we need to just try to soldier on and just forget what just happened. <laughs> So at this point, Sean Cassidy, uh, who I believe is Joe Hardy. Yes. He, I, I don't, I think we should stress as much as possible that the police detective who they're talking to just keeps on telling them, oh, she's gone. She's dead. You're wasting your time. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Blah. She's not under my basement or anything. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just keep it moving. Don't look at the barrel of my crawl space. <laughs> So then Joe goes to uh, prison to talk with <laughs> Keller, who's one of the people that Nancy was investigating shortly before her tragic disappearance. And Keller says, oh, yeah, sure. I was cheating people. I was doing bad stuff. Uh, I'm a ne'er-do-well, if you will. I'm a bit of a rapscallion. Oh, you may even call me a scamp. <laughs> well, but there's no hard feelings. No. I'm I'm an I'm I'm just a regular fella. I did I certainly didn't kidnap her or anything. And then at this point, uh, his mustachioed lawyer shows up in the prison hallway where this conversation is taking place. And, and that, everyone starts booing him because he's a lawyer. And we all know how we all feel about lawyers, right, Kevin? We love lawyers because <laughs> the lawyer was correctly pointing out why is my client talking outside of visiting. The visitor's area to a child about his crime. Are you saying that you're the mustachioed lawyer? Because I don't know how I feel about that. I got no mustache, baby. <laughs> there you go. You're cleared in the case. That's right. And then I was also curious as to... So this, so this guy's been convicted. He's been sentenced to prison. 
So this lawyer is still representing him? What's he representing him for? Is that a detail I missed? No, it's not. And also my question in addition to that, is he the general counsel for the for the companies? You know what I mean? Like, how did he get alerted that Joe Hardy was sniffing around? It didn't seem like he was at the jail for that long. I don't know. It's I don't know. It's irrelevant. I just don't know. So then things get a little uh, dicey outside once Joe's leaving. So Joe gets kicked out. He's leaving. Uh, and tell Annie's going to tell you what happened. I know she's going to do her best, but she's going to make it sound much more exciting than it really was. Joe leaves the building. A guy, a prisoner, if you will, is on a big scaffold and sees Joe leaving. Then this prisoner like looks over at Keller, who's watching Joe leave as well. And it, you know, what uh, it's it's like that scene in Star Wars when everyone's like nodding at each other <laughs> when they're trying to escape from Jabba the Hut. And the prisoner on top of the scaffold drops a bag of cement and it lands somewhat close to joe it lands like six feet away from joe and it's one of those things where we like he we see him push the cement off and then we it falls for a second and then we cut to a shot of it falling from another angle and it's just this long slow ponderous fall and just lands with a dull thud several feet away from joe it just lands with a dull thud, much like the episode itself. It's just, it's not exciting. It's not interesting. There's no sense of menace. Joe doesn't even have to dodge it. That could have been interesting. If he had to like, oh no, something's falling. I better get out of here. He didn't even have to move an inch. <laughs> he just kind of stood and watched it. It's, it's like if, if I see something happen across the street. It felt a bit like... Like, I've tripped before on the sidewalk, and that's always really embarrassing. But, like, the people around you, like, you're not close to hitting them or anything, but they maybe, like, look a little uncomfortable and kind of skirt away from you for a second. That's kind of the vibe I got. Yeah, it was just tedious. <sighs> Honestly, that the, the, the metaphor of the cement bag falling and landing in an uninteresting way is pretty much how I feel about most of this episode. And the, the stuff that's not heinous is, like, the cement bag. The stuff that's heinous is more like an arson of a building filled with people. So, meanwhile, Carson Drew is having his big TV debut. <laughs> he's out here to promote himself. He's saying, my daughter's missing, but don't miss out on my new self-help book trilogy. Drewing conclusions, drewing fire, or drew yourself up. <laughs> Also, my book of comedy, Go Drew Yourself. <laughs> he's having a grand old time. <laughs> he really is. He's really a, a natural for the camera. He's so charismatic. And he's like, you know, if my daughter is still alive, I have a message for the people holding her. Please consider giving her up. But, you know, just consider it. If it's too much trouble, just forget about it. So this is this very wishy-washy bullshit. Well, if you're going on TV, when you say, you've got to return my kid. Yeah. Give it back right now. You wouldn't say, well, you know, if you want to, you know, why don't you give it some thought? Why don't you consider the possibility of returning my child to me? At your earliest convenience. <laughs> like what? You know, be a little bit more stronger, Carson. You really hate this Carson. You don't hate him, but you... I hate him. You spit on him. This this William Shallert. William Shallert. William Shallert, Carson. You don't have a lot of... You best of know him, of course, as the father on the Patty no. Duke show. Yeah, because I watched that because I'm 87 years old. And a hot dog makes you lose control. Oh, Jesus Christ, Kevin. 
people are missing. People are about to be burned alive. <laughs> You're talking about hot dogs. So, so you you kind of think this this There's, that's you don't even know what to say. I don't even know what You're to say. You're at a loss for words. I've never seen you so flummoxed. I have your number with a hot dog making you lose control remark. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> you find this this Chalair take on Carson is kind of flim-flammy and weak and or you know just kind of not not really an entity. Like the Carson drew from the books would and even the Carson drew from other depictions would be like going out and finding his like you know trying to figure out where his daughter is. He wouldn't be sitting around and moping all the time. Is that your opinion? Yes, the Carson Drew from the books would have been taking action a lot sooner. I think the Carson Drew from the books would have killed some people by now. I think the Carson Drew from the books would have gotten Nancy back out of this jam within like a weekend. I agree. Because it's a bit of a spoiler. She's not really in that menacing of a fix. It's an unfortunate fix, which we will talk about, but there are ways out. There, I'm going to say this. It's a deeply disturbing fix. And one, the implications of which I don't really think the writers thought through here. But yes, I agree. It's not, you could get out of this. I think she could get out on, on her own. And certainly Carson could have helped her. I just don't know why they it. went with this angle. So anyway, after making a very polite request for his daughter back, we see where we see the fate that has befallen Nancy Drew. She is watching her father's tearful plea. Yet. Sitting in an ornate room, dolled up like an old fancy timey lady something or other. Think like big like big like like long white dress, big sleeves, Stevie Necks sleeves. So basically Horrible. how you dress. No. I wouldn't be caught dead in those rags. And also, I don't like her hair here. It looks horrible. I just want to say that really irked me. They have it all pinned up like it's like some kind of old timey, you know, fancy, fancy do. It looks, it just, the whole thing is so creepy. I don't appreciate it. I don't like it. I wish they hadn't done this. So anything where I'm critiquing this, just know that it's coming from the place of utmost like, this just should never have been the plot. This should never have been the way they took this character. And also the fact that it's this like lady's first try at Nancy Drew and they gave her this. It's just like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> but anyway, we see a familiar face in here. <laughs> you, you brightened up in a hurry. Uh, Joseph Cotton comes in the room and he calls her princess. Who the devil is Joseph Cotton? Well, he's a he's a. He's I mean, who is who is the actor? Where do we know him from? That's we, what I was gonna say. Okay, well, I apologize for interrupting. This is uh, nothing other than this is none other than Holly Martin's himself from the Third Man. So Holly Martin's made it big as a writer, and now he has this penthouse, and now he's kidnapping young women. That's that's where that's where my mind goes. Because that is what has happened. He has kidnapped Nancy Drew. She is being held captive in a penthouse by an enfeebled old man. She's being held captive in a penthouse with an elevator and phones by an enfeebled old man. She's being held captive in a penthouse with an elevator and phones and many heavy objects, which you can use to bludgeon people, by an enfeebled old man. This is Nancy's fate. She's been held captive by an enfeebled old man for six months. 
So there are some disturbing implications there about what might have been occurring. Are there not? It's deeply disturbing. Obviously, things where people are taken prisoner for years and eventually turn up alive have happened in the world. And, like, it's very disturbing. And usually it's, like, involving horrific shit that's happening. That's being, you know, abuse hurled out at people who are going through this. I don't know why they decided to do this. I don't know why they decided to do this. He's keeping her dressed up like his lost love. It's so fucking creepy. And all I could think when watching this episode, anytime Joseph Cotton comes on the screen, normally I don't have a problem with him, obviously. But in this case, the character, all I can think of is like, what, if, if I were in this situation, I would pick up a lamp and keep hitting him in the face until he died. <laughs> If any, if people pulled this shit on me, do you know what I mean? And like, what the fuck is, what is, why did they do this? It's so creepy. It's so rapey. It has such bad vibes. It's, it's no good. It raises so many disturbing questions. If she's not trying to escape, it's because, is it because her spirit is broken? And how did that happen? What the fuck's going on? When you have like a serious issue that does happen in real life, but like, you know, you're the, you're the fucking writing team for the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys show. Maybe you say, you know, we're going to sit that one out. Maybe we'll make the central premise a little bit different. Because I'm sure there's plenty of arson episodes. You can even have people looking for Nancy and not have the reality of what's happening be so horrifying. You know, like you can you can do a number of different things. Y you can't do this. This is just I just feel like it's wrong. It just feels wrong. It, it totally raises all these disturbing questions, takes away the agency of the character, and it's it's awful viewing. You're just sitting here being like, your inside's crawling and being like, why? And I asked earlier, would it have been a little bit better if it was a character other than Nancy Drew who wasn't as strong and as resourceful as Nancy Drew? And that's certainly something they could have done. And couldn't they also have done it so like Nancy Drew had been kidnapped earlier that night or that day and she was only held captive for like an hour? Yes, that would have been fine. Like, listen, there's way too much violence against women in, in media, right? Like, we all agree with that. and we can, I'll agree with that. We're all, we're all disturbed by that and we're all like, oh my God, like, you know, yet another person getting attacked in a TV show and stuff. And like, what does that, what does that really do for society? But like... If we're going to have, if, if they felt, we know we have to do, we have to put Nancy in danger. There's ways to do that without doing this and getting this fucked up. And and so what you suggested, all of that would have maybe been bad or tacky or whatever, but like, it wouldn't have been like this. This is just like next level creepy. I mean, and you were I was the lifelong Nancy Drew fan. I feel like you were the newer to this when we first watched this episode. So what was what was running through your head as somebody who didn't grow up with it, didn't necessarily have like the attachment to the character? I'm curious, as as person who used to be more of a lay person, what was your reaction? Uh, I was horrified. <laughs> I thought of situations like uh, Elizabeth Smart who was kidnapped and made to be someone's, quote, wife, and how she was uh, brainwashed and physically and emotionally abused. 
And that is an amazing story of heroism and resilience. And I have a great deal of respect and admiration for uh, Miss Smart. Uh, it seems odd, though, to take an iconic character like Nancy Drew, who's a symbol of strength for women, and needlessly put her through that kind of trauma. Yeah. It, it accomplished nothing. No, it's not like they're telling a... It's not like they're telling an adult story or something and like making people think or handling it with care. It's just for shock I, value. Yeah, I think if you tell that story about Nancy Drew, if you tell a story where Nancy Drew is traumatized, let's focus on the heroic aspects of it, which is how she deals with that trauma and how she overcomes it. Yeah, like I'm not even saying, yeah, exactly. Because I'm not saying you can't do a dark Nancy story, but you have to do it with care. And this there's no care put into this. And frankly... It's really more of the Hardy Boys story than Nancy's story, which adds insult to injury here. Nancy just becomes weak and loses her agency. And the fact that she can't escape from an enfeebled old man uh, makes her look kind of silly. It makes her look silly or it raises really disturbing questions about like what happened here yes like was she originally like tied up and bound or something and like was her spirit broken yeah it's like oh it's so creepy it's like it's really it 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 puts a bad i'm not even joking it puts a bad feeling in your stomach it's not it's not like idly and that's why a lot of the episode is like stupid funny like you're like oh my god this is wild and then this is like the monster at the heart of the burning building like this is like i don't i don't want to see anything like this <sighs> and also generally there's a very uh, misogynistic view of women in this episode because the hardy boys like return to police headquarters and say you gotta keep looking for nancy and the detective's like oh there's other crimes there's like an arsonist on the loose plot uh <laughs> plot exposition there and they say, also, we're not going to continue looking for Nancy because, you know, we, we looked for Jimmy Hoffa and we didn't find him. So obviously there's no point in looking for Nancy. That's what that's how that's why there are so many piss, missing people nowadays, Kevin, because they couldn't find one missing man. And they basically were like, well, I guess if we couldn't do that. I mean, they just got discouraged. Police on all levels got discouraged and stopped looking for anybody after Jimmy Hoffa. And also Nancy was uh into up to her neck in terms of teamsters drama behind the scenes so in fairness yeah, that's fair she's so. probably buried under the meadowlands at this point um so we went we, we got into the old lace aspect of the episode uh, and that is nancy's being kept in this fancy old lace gown Blah. and now we're let's go back to the arson because uh now there's an arsonist on the loose mm -hmm. and for some reason they're calling in a federal agency they mentioned that in one scene. I don't know if it even is mentioned again later. I think it's totally irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, they're setting it up to, oh, it's going to be a big jurisdictional mess. Nope. Goes nowhere. So much of this episode goes nowhere. Uh, meanwhile, Nancy, we cut back to her in the apartment. Uh, she picks a lock and gets a door open, and then Joseph Cotton is just there. He's calling her Greta, which was the name of his wife, mm -hmm. who I believe was unfaithful to him. Allegedly. Allegedly unfaithful. And also, uh, some some sleazy attorney that we met in the jail is there. Yes, the mustachioed attorney. As we all know, all attorneys are bad. And so it makes sense that he would be part of this nefarious plot to kidnap a young woman. You're having fun at I, my expense. I love you, Kevy. I don't think you're a bad attorney. <laughs> I don't think you'd kidnap a beloved 
teen sleuth. Well, maybe I'll surprise you. Oh, no. I'm going to come back and... <laughs> See Encyclopedia Brown uh, bound and gagged in the closet. Oh, Jesus, Kevin. Don't do it. <laughs> Leave Encyclopedia Brown alone, sir. <laughs> One thing, again, I think every time I would see Nancy and Co- Joseph Cotton, I would just be like, why don't you just use the wire that you used to pick the lock to strangle this guy? Like, what, what, why? And it's interesting because there are scenes where basically she says, oh, Joseph Cotton, you're a bad fella. You should let me go. And he says, well, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And she's, oh, but you're really bad. You should really let me go. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. You can that. leave after I die. So it, it's somehow... Uh, depicted as the norm that if a man is abusing you, you have to take it unless he changes his mind. Why can't she do something more than just ask his permission to leave? Why can't she do more than ask him to start being kind to her? Why can't she take some action? And like, it's not like a situation where she's like you get a sense that she's tried everything else and like nothing is There's working. There's an elevator there. There's a literal elevator in the room. I don't know. Write a note, put it on the elevator. I like you don't you don't I'm not saying oh all all characters or Nancy Drew suddenly has to become a you know, a, a martial arts master and kick everybody's ass physically, even though I was saying that earlier. And frankly it seems possible with Joseph Cotton in this episode. But like there's things that she could be doing that are proactive and She's just not doing them, and it's oh, it's so uncomfortable. It's disturbing. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I'm batty as a coot. This guy hasn't read a newspaper in 40 years. He feels like he'd be pretty easy to manipulate. In your notes, you mentioned uh, that you could literally beat this old fucker to death. I don't even care, you said. Like, it's so frustrating because you're kind of like... <sighs> and you elaborated. She looks like she could easily beat him to death with some of the furniture. I just, I'm not trying to sound like a violent, crazy person. It's just like, I hate in movies and shows and stuff when protagonists are doing things that like don't make any sense and are not based on some sort of characterization thing where it's like, you know, like the classic example is like, and I'm, I'm not pro killing people. I'm not pro death penalty or anything. I, but like sometimes there's a bad guy. And they don't kill the bad guy. And then it leads to every like a bunch of other people getting killed. And it's like, well, why didn't you just shoot that asshole when you had the chance? So, like, this feels like that, but up to, like, 11. <laughs> up to 11. And again, not pro-killing people. Not pro any of that. But, like, when when the writing isn't sophisticated enough to, like, give people flaws that maybe make them inactive or make give them give them some reasons or some obstacles that they can't do certain things... It just feels like it doesn't make any sense and my brain can't handle it. And even if she's not as bloodthirsty as you would like her to be, there are options. She can incapacitate him without actually killing him. She can wait until he falls asleep. She could take him hostage and force the lawyer to let her go. I mean, like, there's so many different... The lawyer obviously isn't even there all the time, so he's also hanging out in the prison. Yeah, he's got a bunch of shit to do. Bunch of sketchy lawyer shit. He's a busy man. You'd know all about that, Kevin. He's fighting for justice for the the common fella. No. (laughs) I wonder if he's like the corporate lawyer. This is why I was asking that. Like, is he a corporate lawyer on top of all of this? It kind of indicates that he is because he works for, you know, these two executives. I didn't understand that. I mean, mean, maybe I missed that detail because I was... Blacked out. (laughs) (laughs) 
In some respects, though, the this this Joseph Cotton fellow isn't isn't so bad. He seems a I don't know. He seems a bit relatable right now, Kevin. Well, yes, because he makes a point of saying that he can work from home. He does work from home. He just needs a phone. So he's kind of like uh, a man ahead of his time. You christened him Quarantine Cotton. Quarantine Cotton. A Hashtag. Man, a man for 2021. Sure, he's he's uh, doing horrific things to a young woman, but he uh, but at least he's hashtag WFH, working from home. And of course, uh, so they want us, him to be like a Howard Hughes type, but really the reason they have him working from home all the time is because they want someone there to watch Nancy because even the children watching this would have said, if Cotton goes to work, why doesn't Nancy just go down? In the elevator. You could literally call down the elevator shaft. Yell down the elevator shaft. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. There's so many options. But anyway. Couldn't you like break a window and like throw a note out somehow attached to something? Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't you like when you like use the restroom or something, it's like severely damage the plumbing to an extent that a plumber has to come Mm -hmm. and then get them to help you? Yes. There's there's many options. And Kevin, I'll tell you this. Cotton tells Nancy that he's going to keep her until he dies. You know, and she says, why didn't you guys just kill me, basically? And he says, oh, but you look so much like Greta. And frankly, I was thinking the same thing watching this thing. Well, just kill me, you fucking cowards. <laughs> that, that's what you said when I asked you to watch Sanford and Son. Oh, my God. This makes me... the steam coming out my ears. <laughs> So meanwhile, let's get back. Let's let's uh, cast off this old lace and let's go back to the arson. Because at this point, that's the fun part. So the arsonist is Peter Pan. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's the arsonist is a young blonde uh, portrayed by Kathy Rigby, a former gymnast who was best known to people of my generation for playing Peter Pan. She played that role off and on for 30 years. Well, now she's throwing in the second gasoline-soaked rag to the right and straight on till morning. <laughs> I was wondering why she had a big flashlight light shining on her shoulder the whole time throughout this whole thing. Kept referring to it as Tink. <laughs> and it was kind of weird that a guy dressed as a pirate and a big crocodile came in at the end, but that makes a lot of sense now. Actually, for this episode, that wasn't even all that weird. <laughs> Those guys were the much-needed, grounded... <laughs> grounded uh, characters that we were looking for. (laughs) So she's setting the building on fire. Uh, Honestly, good for her. Most relatable character in this. Did did we mention the name of Joseph Cotton's character? Oh, yeah. For some reason, uh, apparently somebody really hated the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce Sherlock Holmes that we've been talking about on other episodes of the podcast. So they named the guy Wendell Rathbone. (laughs) But it would not really funny if they called it Bruce Rathbone. <laughs> that was what I was hoping for. So now the Hardy Boys show up. Oh, here we go. They're going to show up. And they are going to ask some questions of Mr. Rathbone. So I wasn't entirely clear of how... What made the Hardy Boys realize that Rathbone was the person they should talk to. So I don't know the answer to that. I believe Nancy in her notebook that Joe stole a page of from the uh, evidence locker, drew a symbol of the Rathbone Company. Um, I, I don't know if that's revealed before this or later. 
And the Hardy Boys show up and realize that Nancy's notes refer to a brother, but they believe that maybe it refers to the brotherhood of companies that Rathbone has set up. It's called like the Brotherhood or something. And apparently everyone in LA is too stupid to realize that anything called something ominous like that is obviously evil and run by a senile Joseph Cotton who's kidnapped a young woman. So, you know, they they, they think maybe this is the answer. Maybe this building where um, Rathbone has his headquarters but also lives in a penthouse is, is going to hold some answers for them. But meanwhile, somehow... Peter Pan has knocked herself out while setting the fire. I don't, I don't know how she managed to do that, but you know. So the Hardy boys go to the Rathbone office, demand to see him. And the uh, secretary is like, he never sees anyone. Mm. So he's kind of like, as we say, he's kind of like a Howard Hughes figure. Or maybe like a Howard who wrote the, this shit. <laughs> Just ice station stupid at this point. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have more arson action downstairs. Uh, Frank Hardy saves uh, Joe from this big fake explosion. And then they actually save Peter Pan. And Joe actually does CPR on her. So that's fun. Because she's, uh, she's been stuck in the, the, with the, uh, <laughs> the nightmare of her own creation. She, the arsonist got stuck in her own fire. The fire squad is coming, though. Oh, my God. The fire squad is coming. Now, your your dad was a volunteer yes. firefighter. How do you think he'd feel about all this? Because let me tell you, folks, there's a lot of the fire squad. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna take up a, an unseemly amount of time in this episode. <laughs> in a way that feels very forced and unnatural. As opposed to the rest of the episode. Everything else. It, it, it's really glaring that they're in this so much. Yeah, it seems an odd decision. It seems like somehow another show about a fire team, like about a group of firefighters, is somehow trying to hijack the episode. So I've never seen The Towering Inferno. It was like the fire chief in The Towering Inferno yeah. kind of like this? Yeah, the it's Steve McQueen. Okay. Basically, The Towering Inferno is Paul Newman as the architect of the building that's on fire. Or or like he was involved in planning it. I, I don't, it's been a very long time since. He's like the building guy. And then Steve McQueen is like the fire guy. And then all these various celebrities, O.J. Simpson, Fred Astaire, the, the works are trapped in the building and everyone's trying to survive. I really like the movie, but I, I think it's disturbing to watch for some people after 9-11, unfortunately. But this is trying to do that with all these like D-list celebrities. And um, there is a lot of focus on in the Towering Inferno on the fire squad, but that makes sense because that's the point of the goddamn movie. In this uh, episode, the fire chief, played by Pernell Roberts, TV's Trapper John. TV's Trapper John. He gets a lot of oxygen. He gets a lot of airtime. Well, he needs it, Kevin. He's a firefighter. (laughs) (laughs) We have fun here. I don't know who (laughs) Trapper John is, but I feel trapped in this episode with him. Didn't they call him Trapper John because at one point he was having sexual relations with a woman in a closet? And when he was discovered doing this, the woman said, oh, he trapped me. Am I misremembering that? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Isn't that why they called him Trapper John? You keep asking me. I don't fucking know, Kevin. I don't know oh. who you're talking about. I don't know who these people are. That's a disturbing story. Good God. Is that a fictional character or a real person? I don't even fucking know at this point. 
It's Trapper John. Stop acting like he's a personal friend of yours who I've met and forgot about. He was uh, a character on MASH who was then spun off into his own TV show, played by a different actor. Although for legal reasons, they said uh, it was not spun off from the TV show. It was spun off, I believe, from the book. Trapper had a reputation for being a womanizer. He acquired the nickname Trapper John during an incident in which he was having sex with a woman in a railway, railway washroom. The two were caught by a conductor, at which point the woman turned against Trapper, shouting, He trapped me. So this is the character that the, the actor playing the fire chief is best known for playing. More rapey vibes. Great. That's all we need. Trapper John. Ugh. So, but we digress. Yes, we digress. Let's go back to the what fire. Let, let's throw ourselves back in the flames, Kevin. So Frank and Joe are upstairs. They've tried to talk to this Howard Hughes type. Now they realize the building's on fire. Great. So Frank tells Joe that he's going to go try to break into the penthouse and see if either Nancy is there or see if he can get a clue from Rathbone. He wants to save Rathbone from going up in smoke. So why would he think Nancy's there? I, I don't know, Kevin. <laughs> well, obviously he's right, so good for him. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I, I guess they think that these people kidnapped her. See, I was completely lost. See, what Joe made... thinks she's dead. Joe is the reasonable one here. Joe's like, they killed her. And then Frank's like, no, maybe they kept her alive because maybe uh, Joseph Cotton thinks she's a long, dead, silent, you know, old-timey black and white actress. So if I follow this correctly... Uh, Nancy in her notebook said something involving the word brother. Yes. They found out that there was a company called the Brotherhood of Companies. Yes. And so using that, they hypothesized and deduced that Nancy was being held prisoner in the penthouse of said company. This is basically like if I doodled the letter W on a coffee cup one day idly and then went missing, and then you kicked down the door to walmart headquarters in bentonville arkansas i mean this is certainly a huge leap of logic i was totally confused but it it certainly you know is not the craziest thing about this episode it doesn't seem like there's really a mystery here that they're solving it just seems more like they're jumping from scene to scene as the plot requires it yeah you could probably make that argument about a lot of these kind of shows or even a lot of shows in this series. But in this one, it feels very egregious because everything is batshit at this point. Everything is on fire, quite literally. Maybe they could have spent a little bit less time with the fire chief. Because the fire chief comes at this point and there's a scene where a guy's telling him about the floor plan of this building. And it's like and they're trying to come up with a strategy on how to deal with the fire. And it's mm-hmm. like, why do we need this? Yeah, and like it's like one of those things if you... Like, we get it. We get that a fu- everyone's probably seen a fire- Chowering Inferno, or at least they could picture something like this happening. And, like, we get that fire bad, get away from the fire. You don't need to, like, break down how bad the fire is, you know, and take out minutes that you could be dedicating to the mystery or, or any, literally anything else. Like, we, we know the fire's bad. We know it's bad to have a fire in a skyscraper. We can use our imaginations and... You know, maybe have a few quick moments where the firefighters are responding, but we don't need the whole thing. But they were trying to do some fucking Towering Inferno bullshit. So they they really, Towering Inferno has a lot of this kind of stuff. Obviously, it's done better, but I feel like they were really trying to capture that. Get the get the Towering Infi- Inferno hive all a, all a buzz 
it's it's really bizarre it's so they bizarre. really wanted us to get invested in this fire chief it's bizarre boggles my mind less offensive than kidnapping nancy and keeping her alive for months in some kind of creepy yeah, you guys. know i would take the trade get rid of the joseph cotton story and give us like another 10 minutes of with this internal fire chief i completely agree i would take that trade. burn the other shit down keep this guy but because this is like cheesy stupid fun like it's 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 ridiculous and corny and and bizarre but at least it's not like oh doesn't make me feel like gross to see it yeah it's just a it's just a fire chief but you know but overall this episode this ain't it chief <laughs> that's what i'd come in and say and they'd be like get off the set <laughs> i just slap the guy on the back and be like this ain't it chief you're like lenny briscoe yeah <laughs> just coming in with my one-liners boom you're lenny briscoe you're out of the scene of this arson. What do you say? Let me think about that. I'd come in and be like, some like it hot, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> You're so good. <laughs> <laughs> like panicked for a second. Like, I gotta do a good one. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Can't just be any, it has to sound like, can't just be any pun. It has to sound like a Lenny Briscoe pun. And that's like a weird old movie reference. So like, it feels like it would be up his alley. <laughs> So Nancy, at this point, is is saying, if, it was, if, if Lenny Briscoe was involved, though, it would be them finding Nancy's body and be like, "This girl was missing for months before this happened." It'd be really dark. That'd be a pretty good episode. No, it wouldn't. It would be depressing. I don't want to think about Nancy Drew dying in a fire <laughs> after being kidnapped for seven months or whatever. And obviously, I'm emotionally invested in the character because it's like a childhood thing. But I also feel like. Other things were quote unquote supposed to be dark and handled well, or at least were supposed to be dark and not handled well, but like we can deal with it. But this felt like it was taking something that was never supposed to be this dark and put it and made it halfway dark, but in a way that leaves a lot of disturbing <laughs> questions. You know, I don't know. I'm just repeating myself, but yeah. It's like if you handle these sorts of things, things of women being taken captive and tormented in some ways those are very incendiary it's like matches and if you're going to be playing with matches you should know what you're doing and handle them well for the proper effect and this is just like a couple of dumbass little kids playing with matches and not even know what they're doing and setting a house on fire and not even realizing it i think you're absolutely right and i like the metaphor see i support your puns <laughs> So now uh, the, the, the fire is spread. And also Joe has taken on the role of deputy fire marshal of the floor. So he's actually leading people, including Peter Pan, to safety. So good job, Joe. Uh, every, every, in New York, you know, after 9-11, they always have like fire, fire, like retired firefighters come in and basically give you a big lecture about what to do if there's a big fire or a big, big disaster. So I always have fond memories of that because they always have like really strong New York accent. They're like, yeah, and then tell a bunch of crazy stories. So, yeah, makes me think of uh, my, my Manhattan times. <laughs> hey, you know. One time a guy, one time the guy was talking, he was like a retired police officer and he was talking about like, like seeing some guy get mugged in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot and like throwing coffee in the guy's face. Like it just, it, it got totally out of control. It was crazy. That sounds like a John Mulaney routine. 
Yeah, and then one time it was like a guy who got really sexist and was like, "Girls, don't grab your purses," and it was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> But anyway, Joe's taking on a leadership role here. We'd like to see that. And uh, he's leading people away. And But also the people in the penthouse are reacting too. Yeah, Nancy is saying, gosh, uh, Mr. Cotton, Mr. Rathbone, will you let me live? And he's saying, oh, I can't do that. You got to die with me. We're going to die together. She says, oh, shucks. Oh, gee, mister, that's no fun. She's, she's badly broken at this point. Just... I, I don't know which I prefer, the idea that, there's a reason for her behavior or that there isn't. I like to think that there is no reason for her behavior other than bad writing because I don't want to think about the other possibilities. Oh, meanwhile, the lawyer has a negative reaction to this. He doesn't want to die in the fire with Joseph Cotton. Not after what he did to Harry Lime. He goes and says, you really are a crazy old man. I mean, like, as what? Like, what, what was the first clue, dipshit? See. It's such an odd delivery, too. You really are a crazy old man. Like, what? <laughs> See, I would love this if somehow it wasn't really the real Nancy. It was just someone else kind of posing as Nancy, mm-hmm. or they were supposed to kind of like the the changlings or the ch- the changlings. That sounds like something from Community, where like Chang is doing some crazy shit and calls himself the changling. Hire some guy to pretend to be. <laughs> How him. do you pronounce it? It's the changeling. The changeling. So you, I, I wish it was something like the changeling situation mm-hmm. where it wasn't really Nancy. Everybody was just we're pretending it was Nancy and we're being pressured to think it's Nancy, but it's really not Nancy. That would make more sense. That would make more sense. And then Nancy comes out at the end and was like, I had to go undercover to protect everybody. This bad shit happened to some other lady, so who cares? <laughs> I don't know. At this point, yes, I wish I wish that were the case or that they were trying to pretend that she was Nancy Drew or something to like satisfy somebody. I, I don't I don't know. Anything better than what what actually yeah, we this saw. was this is just a disaster. Yeah, no, it'd be called like Nancy Drew and the Clue of the Changeling or something. Have you ever seen that movie? No, it's disturbing. Clint Eastwood. Do you dig it? Do you recommend it? I I was pretty freaked out by it. So no. Yeah. You spit on the movie. Well, no, I think it's good. I just it I I saw it when I was too young. I I didn't see the whole thing either. I just saw parts of it. So you walked out of the theater? I didn't see it in theaters. I was like, ah, it's based on the Wineville chicken coop murder, so it's pretty right. fucked up. So there's, now we have like a lot of stock footage of fires. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Burn, Carson, baby, burn. Disco Inferno. Carson and Fenton Hardy. Fenton, <laughs> we cut to Carson and Fenton Hardy, who are apparently staying together in a room in a really cheap and sleazy hotel. It's a little odd. Because Carson is a successful attorney. That's plenty of money. I think Fenton is Fenton Hardy's doing okay. Why don't they go to like a Hampton Inn? <laughs> Where do they get separate rooms? In a nice place. Instead they're staying together in a sleazy hotel in some out of the way corner of town. And you know, it didn't really seem to make sense. That Carson is coming to Los Angeles to plea for the return of a daughter he believes is dead. So I, I just I just wonder. Well, I think that maybe he wants to know where her body is or like have information on what happened to her. I think just because you think someone's dead doesn't mean you're like, well, I guess I missed my opportunity. You still probably want to know what happened to them <laughs> if they're your missing child. So I think you can be realistic, but also still advocate. So that that's not surprising okay. at all. I think the 
motel revelation about them staying together in this room is a little surprising, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Nancy and the Hardy boys are going to be step siblings soon. And then uh, do the Hardy boys, are the Hardy boys also staying in that room or they have their own room? See, you're asking some questions. I'm asking the question. Maybe it's like a suite that's connected by a door. So there's like Fenton and Carson share a bedroom and then the Hardy Boys share another bedroom? What's wrong with that? There's nothing. I'm just trying to figure it out. I just want to get the lay of the land, as it were. Oh, the lay of the land? Yeah, thank you. Do you think uh, Carson's given that to Fenton? (laughs) I don't know. It's, It's a pretty sleazy looking motel. That's what jumps out to me. If they'll go, if two bros want to stay in the same room, that's all right. Yeah, of course. But have you ever stayed in the same room as another guy, like at a hotel? Yes. Other than your dad? Yes. Who? Well, uh, uh. <laughs> when was this? <laughs> in my situation, I would often go to uh, the town of chicago the town of chicago chicago town it's, it's a bit of a toddling town oh jesus i would go there for a comic book convention and i would stay at a hotel that was across the street from the convention in a suite and there would be one room with a bed and then the other room would have a couch which folded out into a bed and so for like three or four years, a friend of mine and I would go together and one of us would take the bedroom and the other one would take the fold-out bed and we'd switch every year. Uh, and it was something like uh, $100 for the room. And so we that way we just split it, 50 bucks each. We got to stay in a nice place right across the street from the convention for a reasonable price. So see, there's nothing wrong with what Fenton and Hardy are doing. And the best thing Fenton about or, it, Fenton and Carson are doing. This place had... Every guest got free made-to-order breakfast. And I often get up early before other people. So I'd like get up and I'd have a free made-to-order breakfast at 6. Mm. And then I'd have another free made-to-order breakfast at like 8. And then another free made-to-order breakfast at 10. That'd be my eating for the day. See, All free of charge. See, we're calling it sleazy just because the room decor. But maybe... Carson and Fenton don't care about that. Maybe they're just in it for a perk like you were, like this free made-to-order breakfast. I bet that's what it was. Bet- <laughs> this did not look like the sort of place that offered free made-to-order breakfast. Oh, you think you're better than them? I, I, I think I think we're all better than this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, worst places I've ever stayed. And when I was a kid, I guess we stayed, the family stayed at, like, a Orlando hotel that smelled like cigarettes. But that actually looked be- that looked better than this room. I once stayed technically in a, a hotel room where you could not open the door to go into the bathroom because the door would hit the bed. That's how small the room was. Jeez. <laughs> Were you staying with Carson or Fenton? Have, have you ever stayed uh, in a hotel room with a, a young lady? Plenty of times in my life. I feel like there's less like hoo 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 right. if it's two two ladies. But anyways, we we digress. We don't, we're not helping them with their trip advisor reviews. We're not, we'll leave that to Carson and Fenton. Let's get back to the kids. Let's get back to what's happening at this goddamn building, the Rathbone building. God damn it. Oh, also, Carson and Fenton see on the TV that the Rathbone building is on fire. Fenton, but that's where Frank and Joe went. And they owe me money. We gotta get out of here. Maybe they're the arsonists. We gotta stop them before they strike again. 
mean, oh, oh, so the dad, you- so the, like the fire squad before it, now the dad patrol has been deployed. The dad duo, they're then, on their way. Then we get even more shocking news: a a child named Sally is trapped in the building, trapped in the dentist's office, which is a blaze. Arson Sally, guess you better burn your dentist down. <laughs> <laughs> She's the real arsonist. She just framed Peter Pan. <laughs> Lost girl? No way. <laughs> this is the real fire bug. Sally's the real villain here. She, she's not only responsible for the fire, but she actually put Joseph Cotton up to kidnapping Nancy Drew. She's the real evil behind all this. <laughs> Pretty brave of them to make the kid uh, the, the bad guy. So you have the fire... The firemen, the firefighters just kind of react to the news that there's a kid in there being like, oh, God, there's a kid. Like, geez, we've seen so much of this. Uh, Joe is leading them along. He hears. Should, the, kid, mm-hmm. the, the firemen, by the way, should not be so emotionally worked up by that. This is their job. They deal with kids being trapped in buildings all the time. And you know this as the son of a volunteer firefighter. Yeah, so obviously they take it they, they take it seriously, but it's not like, oh my god, this is awful. Oh, we see too much of this. Yeah, like, yeah, and kneeling then... down and weeping. <laughs> that happens probably after you get home, not like on the job. But they they're, they're professionals. Yeah, that's kind of like saying like, oh, here's a nurse and a doctor, and they're like, oh my god, this guy's covered in blood. Get him out of here. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's it's absurd. It's your job, man. So Joe is leading along his, uh, his, his, his crew from his floor, but then he kind of pushes them and the actual arsonist along because he hears Sally crying. So he bursts into the dentist's office and finds this little girl trapped under what appears to be a very lightweight metal bookshelf frame. I question... If she was really pinned under this, I'm just saying. So you think Sally was faking it? I think this is all a ruse. I think she's going to Kaiser Soze it. I think she's going to turn out to be the malevolent force behind all of this. And this is all part of her big power play. This is like her, this is her Hans Gruber moment. She's going to act like she's one of the fire victims and then just reveal (laughs) that she's actually one of the terrorists. She's working no, she's not working for Joseph Cotton. She's Joseph Cotton's boss. She's behind all this. She's the real Rathbone. It's kind of sad how desperate you are to be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying so hard to salvage this. My brain just went into like some kind of dangerous fan fiction mode here. <laughs> I'm going to need help. I'm going to need someone to take down the swelling. <laughs> They're going to have to do some stints. Oh, man. So anyway, Frank gets up to the penthouse. He just, you know, here's a novel idea that Nancy might have been able to use. He gets in the elevator and takes it up to the penthouse. Maybe she could have done that in reverse. Just saying. So he gets up there and then the lawyer basically shoves him out of the the elevator and gets it in himself. And so they're stuck up there then because the elevator does not come back because the whole, you know, the whole building is on fire. Rathbone kind of Joseph Cotton pulls a gun on them briefly and Nancy basically her big contribution into this. And this is the writer's, you know, swing and miss attempt to show that she's in power too. slaps the weapon out of his hands. So then Rathbone, Nancy and Frank are all trapped in this penthouse and they're all like, you know, 
you know, trying to get out, basically. <laughs> Just like we're trying to get out of this. <laughs> we're trying to get out of this storyline. Flashing back to Joe and Sally, they crouch down in the dentist's office and the whole place fucking explodes. So they're actually dead now. <laughs> so we said, we're still processing that tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> we cut back to the penthouse. Uh, Cotton, Rathbone, if you will, he refuses to leave because he says, I've got to save the film, which is the film that his wife was in. Mm-hmm. And presumably, there are many prints of that film in circulation. Yeah. So he's going to risk his life to save a superfluous print of a widely available film. Well, he's just nutty. Cootie is an old bat. Cootie is an old bat. Batty is an old coot, even. Oh, those are pretty strong words. I know. Went a little too far there. You did. But meanwhile... Nancy and Frank get the doors of the elevator shaft open and say, well, what we do is we'll climb up to the roof. And, of course, uh, Nancy's like, I don't know if I can do it. And uh, she says, I might fall. And Joe says, well, if you fall, I'll be right there with you. Which is, that supposed to be reassuring? If you fall, I'll throw my ass down the elevator shaft. And we'll both die together horribly. Yay! Also, I don't want to... I'm sure there's strong people who could do this. I don't think most people could do this. Is that fair to say? I'm not clear. There, there's many, many cuts uh, from one story to the other. And during this, there are many dramatic shots of them climbing up the elevator shaft as dramatic music plays. How far up are they actually climbing? I guess a floor. Because they're on the penthouse. So it seems to take them a long time to climb up just one floor. I mean, I feel like this would be a very difficult task. Maybe if you were a professional climber or at least training for this specific activity for a while or doing things that worked out the muscles that you need to use, perhaps you could do it. Maybe. It just seems like you're pulling up all your weight up this thing and it doesn't. it's not clear to me that the, the elevator cables have like a lot of footholds area where you're able to kind of balance yourself i know people climb ropes in gym but this is different and i i don't know why i'm nitpicking this it doesn't fucking matter but it just always struck me as like what the hell what what this is what we're doing this is your plan let's let's hover hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air while the building's on fire for all they know there could be an explosion down below and a big column of fire bumps up I, I don't i don't know it just it's so dumb and my question is would it make more sense to go go down a floor or two because how would people even know there was somebody up on the roof of this burning building and usually it's the lower floors that are cleared first it, should, we, is, should we call my dad and ask maybe your dad might know I understand it. I think if you're in a fire, your principal concern is to get out of the fire. So if you're on the roof, you're not directly in the fire at that point. So I, I understand that from a just a, but obviously, I I I don't think. Would you do this? Would you do the elevator shaft thing? I would not. I'm too scared of heights. Is the only 
way the penthouse was accessible was through an elevator? Well, Wasn't it like a stairway? There was a stairway, Kevin, and the door was still shut. But let's say, like, they saved Rathbone, like the firefighters yeah. got there in time, so they they risked their lives for nothing. Because spoiler alert, the firefighters show up and they break down the door and they save Rathbone after Nancy and Ned. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, after Nancy and Frank. Ned is her boyfriend in the books. After Nancy and Frank climb up the elevator cables and get in, you know, get onto the roof somehow. So it's like, oh, all that work you did? Wow, your arms are killing you now and you were, you know, just about to crap your pants from fear? Well, that was for nothing. Because the firefighters are here and we're going to take care of it, folks. Okay. So they, they get up, they reach the roof of the building and they immediately see firefighters who are preparing to open up the door of the penthouse. And the firefighters are like, oh, how'd you guys get up here? Said, oh, we climbed up the elevator shaft. So oh, that's interesting. Can you excuse us, please? <laughs> well, we do our jobs. And it's like, I'm no expert. I can check on this with my father. But I'm pretty sure that when firefighters encounter people who have just narrowly escaped from a burning building and who clearly therefore need serious medical attention, they don't just send them on their way. They would have sat those people, they would have sat Nancy and Frank down and given them attention and made sure they were all right. Yeah, it was basically like they were, yeah, like asking them to clear away so they could like mop the floor or something. Like it was, like it was such a casual interaction. Like, hey, can you, can you get out of the way for a second? I just want to like, they said, hey, we, we just climbed up a goddamn elevator shaft and that firefighters don't even care. Well, it just, yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's so dumb, Kevin. It's so dumb. And it's, again, it just, the effort that they put into escaping kind of comes to nothing because then they just, the firefighters, if they had they just waited 15 minutes, maybe they would have had some smoke damage to their lungs, but that's pretty much it. So the firefighters break down the door, but because Frank is like some kind of control freak who can't let leave well enough alone, he... He races through the door, too, to save Rathbone. And they pull Rathbone out, who's screaming because his movie's on fire or whatever. And he basically, you know, pulls the guy out. But let's go back to what the dads are doing. Yes. And I'm frankly still worried about Sally. I told you, Sally and Joe are dead. So the dads are in the lobby, or they're, I guess they're outside the building, and they run up to a, a mustachioed fireman. And um, they ask him, like, has everyone out? And he said, you know, he's like, well, there's a lot of people over there. You might want to check if your loved one's in there. And, and and Carson's like, but not not all are out? And the guy said, no, not all. And then walks away. Like, we need, we need this, like, preachy fireman yelling at people here. Good use of time. And let me ask you this. Is there any narrative reason for the fathers to be there at all? No. <laughs> also, they meet the horrible detective they met earlier all these men are wearing brown sports coats i think maybe i blacked that out and just hallucinated that but i'm pretty sure they're all wearing brown sports coats and it's like is this the uniform of distressed dads in the 70s this is the this is the dad patrol uniform so can we please get back okay to Joe and Sally? the real villain okay so yeah i guess i gotta address the elephant in the room and finally tell you about the fate of old joe and old sally yes i've been waiting forever <laughs> i did tell you they died but i was lying sorry they're actually alive and uh there's an extended sequence where uh 
basically the <laughs> dentist's office they're in just explodes in flames around them. One thing that's perplexing about this episode is that you can tell they put some money into it because they're like, everything's on fire. Like, you know, that, that, that effect costs some money, right? I, I don't, it wasn't like very convincing no, fires. No, no, it wasn't. But like, but I mean, most of these things are shot on like, you know, $2 budget. So, and I, and I think some of those fire scenes were stock footage. Some of they? them were definitely, it was a lot of stock footage of firefighters, skyscrapers, fire scenes. But there were actual things on fire in this. Well, like maybe somebody had a fireplace or something. And they just <laughs> shot it through that. Why did they? Sh- I just why would they spend any of their money on this episode? It's just so badly written. They should have known. Like, let's maybe save it for some actual, actual. So show. I, I think what happened was they spent all their money on the fire and didn't have enough money to hire a writer. All their money went up in smoke. <laughs> oh, Anya. So uh, I think we're done. Yeah. So well, maybe you, you should. Uh, Jump out the window because that's what Joe and Sally do. <laughs> they are coaxed down by uh, what looks like part of a uh, bouncy castle uh, that's been set up by some firefighters. Joe asks Sally, you know, it, it's just like diving off a diving board, Sally. And she's like, you know, and he's like, All right, don't be scared. And she's like, I'm not if you're not. Like, you can barely understand her. <laughs> she's like a small child actress. And then they jump. And so they got out, too. And of course, here's where, here's where things coalesce. Here's where the plot all comes together. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what Everything's going to tie together like an intricately plotted Dickens novel. The smoke clears. So first, Peter Pan, who's made it out at this point, confesses. She reunites with Joe. She gives Joe a hug. And then she confesses to Joe, Nancy, and Frank that she was the one setting the fires. Well, what was her motive? Of course, she was the daughter of Greta, the actress who Nancy is said to resemble. She doesn't resemble her. But she uh, she was her daughter, and this Rathbone guy ruined her mother's career after their divorce. So she wants revenge on Rathbone, so she's burning all his buildings. And uh, she's mentally ill, and that's that's the end of that. <laughs> See, if it was you, wouldn't you just, like, leave a f- mean comment on his Facebook page? Yeah, or, like, expose him or something in a blog. <laughs> <laughs> That'd show him. <laughs> he was mean to my mommy. Uh, yeah, it really doesn't add anything, but I guess they had to tie that in somewhere, because otherwise it wouldn't have made sense. Uh, Does it make sense now? <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't have made sense, you said. Me. <laughs> Thank God there was some meaning and sense to this thing. Well, you know who's really here to deliver the meaning and sense is the uh, the fire chief character who we spent fucking half the episode on. He uh, he looks up at the building and next to his mustachioed chief who just yelled at the dads. And he says, I've been fired. Actually, no, we're going to do this. We're going to read the script, you and I. I'm going to be the chief. You be the, the, the lackey. Okay. Just like in real life. Yeah. I've been fighting fires for 25 years in this city, and I've hated everyone. The fires or the years? Both. But it's moments like that that make it worthwhile. And, of course, the moment he's referring to is seeing uh, Peter Pan get hauled off in a paddy wagon. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's Sally re- reuniting with her mom. It's, like, very weird. There's, like, a purse lying on the ground, and that's what the shot is. And then... Sally and her mom. Sally walks up, picks it up, and then hands it to her mom. And it's like, 
And then they walk off. And then the chief stares up thoughtfully at the uh, burned building. He's got a lot of thoughts about this. I'm really glad. He really added a lot. (laughs) The kind of uh, man that your dad would have loved because he's a volunteer firefighter. He would have felt represented in this. And meanwhile, uh, the dads finally reunite with their kids, uh, Fenton Hardy with his two sooty sons, and of course, uh, Carson Drew with his long-lost daughter, who he believed to be dead. And you know, given that he thought she was dead, not that emotional of a reunion. It's more of like, (laughs) I don't even know. It's like if she went to the grocery store to buy some eggs. Maybe it's like if she was, I don't know, like off at college. For a, for a few weeks, yeah, I, I think if know. she if she went to the store to buy some eggs, thanks for giving me my eggs, darling. There have been times I've gone to the store to buy eggs and come back, and you've been much more effusive than this. Well, that's because you're wonderful, <laughs> and these characters all suck in this episode. And yeah, it's just uh... so. Then oddly enough, Nancy has just been freed from basically prison because she's been imprisoned in this penthouse. For six months. So, so let the, me guess. Everybody is very uh, is very respectful of her trauma and get her to a hospital immediately and and you know get her hooked up with a therapist to talk about her trauma. You know, stat. No, they immediately return her to the place where she has been imprisoned, even though that place is on the top of a burnt building that may be structurally unsound and could collapse at any moment. Oh, okay, but like that's bad. But let's. This was the line that got me in this whole fucking thing. We need to go back. I'm going to stop the momentum we have and just point this out. Sally and Joe have jumped out of the thing. They land on the, you know, parachute, whatever the fuck bullshit they land on. And Sally turns to Joe and said, that was fun. (laughs) Sally. I just wanted Joe to like look at her really sternly and say, Sally, people fucking died. (laughs) And I just wanted to bring that up. I felt it was important to interrupt our conversation about Nancy's trauma because that is the whole vibe of this episode. It's like a building's on fire. Thousands of people are dead, presumably. Nancy has been held hostage in some nightmare scenario at the top of this building and barely survived this whole ordeal. And the writers are almost like looking at the audience and being like, that was fun, wasn't it? No, Sally, that was not fun. That fucking sucked. Jesus. I mean, isn't that your reaction to this? You're scary. Am I wrong? No. There you go. Okay, back to Nancy. She's back in this horrible, burnt-out apartment where she almost died. And she's been six months of her life. Six months. This has been my home for six months. And they drag her right back up there. And uh, she turns to the Hardy Boys. And in a touching moment, she says... You hardy boys, you were my only hope. And her dad is right there with them. What a slap in the face to Carson Drew. I can rant too. If you were Carson when you just walked out. (laughs) (laughs) Stomping down the burnt out stairs. He's right there. Kevin, you've seen this Carson Drew in action. If you were his daughter, would you be like, yeah, Carson Drew is going to come in swinging? Carson Drew from the 1930s movies, he'd come and swing. Yeah, after like two minutes. Like, this guy left her in here for six months and thought she was dead. I, is she mean? Is she cruel? Or is she just accurate? Yeah, she's accurate. I think it's also, the. I think it's like the humor in it 
is also the fact that like it's a shot of both of them standing side by side and she's looking at the Hardy Boys like, you guys were the only ones in my life who could have ever saved me from a situation like this. Everybody else is fucking useless. And like her dad's standing right, right there. there. <laughs> Do you think it's like she's been like passive aggressive? She's been held hostage for six months. I think she's entitled to a little bit of a disappointment. Everybody's kind of let her down. Everyone's kind of fucked up here. And then Joe, of all people, has the audacity to be like, we never gave up on you. He spent the whole fucking first part of the episode being like, Frank, she's definitely dead, right? Like. (laughs) 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 Meanwhile, meanwhile, for some reason, the police chief has to come in and validate everybody. He's like, Nancy, you uncovered a big financial scheme led by Rathbone. Congrats. Hope it was worth six months of your life. And all, like, all of your sanity. And also, Frank and Joe, can't believe you found her. Wow, the government is grateful. Is that, like, kind of a setup for the next season when they go to work for the government? It is, but I don't see how, like, the some shitty LAPD cop who doesn't care about missing women is the government writ large. But isn't that kind of the government? I mean, <laughs> I, guess, I guess in real life, yeah. But, like... But like, don't you feel like if like if for some reason this was a federal case and the FBI came in and like the government is grateful, like you'd be like, oh, they speak for the federal government in a way that kind of makes sense. Like some like local jackass. <laughs> L.A. is grateful. <laughs> yeah, in the in previous in next in the next season, they uh, the Hardy Boys become federal agents for some reason, and things get zanier from there. And then I guess Nancy kind of wraps it all up. By saying something kind of creepy. Yeah, saying something kind of awful, really summing up this whole episode. She lo- she says, she's like, this is my home for six months. And then she's like, but I wasn't really alive. I was her. And she looks at the picture of Greta and it zooms in on her. And I, I want to really emphasize one thing about this. Everyone's been going on about how much she resembles Greta. She doesn't resemble her at all. They both are white women with like kind of, Light brown, dark blonde hair. That's it. They don't look very similar otherwise. She's just dressed as like some weird Victorian lady. Couldn't they have found some actress who resembled this new Nancy Drew? Yeah, if you were really going for it, I'm sure you could find somebody where maybe it wasn't an exact match, but at least it wasn't like objectionable. She just doesn't look like this woman. So they're trying to have this whole eerie moment of like, I almost became her. You know, really, on the top 10 list, on the top 100 list of most objectionable things about this episode, that isn't even cracking. It's a towering inferno of fucking objection on my part. Nancy, yeah, the idea of Nancy being held prisoner by an enfeebled old man for six months is just awful. And I'm not trying to say, like, oh, she's an empowered female character. She, you know, she has to be, like, some Josh Whedon bullshit you know i'm gonna fight it out my way every time like she can be vulnerable she can have bad things happen to her she can you know need saving by other people that's fine in my book but this was handled so poorly it's it's i mean having i mean unfortunately this stuff like this does happen to people and it's horrible and horrific and you know it's it's it, i don't think it's an okay thing to just be like well that happened like it was some sort of like chill thing and in this show, most of the time, it's, like, the biggest thing that happens is, like, oh, these people are doing, you know, uh, 
you know, a, a secret car ring or, you know, I, like, like it, it's not a very deep show and it's not a very like graphic or scary show in terms of the crimes it portrays. So to have this happen is pretty and it, it's, it's a show for children and Nancy is a role model for little girls. And why would they think, oh, let's take this hero, this role model of little girls who's an inspiration for little girls and let's show her degraded and weakened for six months. Also, if uh, if if you're a little girl and and something horrible happens to you at the hands of a creepy man, you know it's not a big deal. Look, Nancy's fine. She's smiling. She had a great time. She's happy to see her friends, the Hardy Boys. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's it's creepy. In real life, if you're held prisoner by an old man for six months, you need therapy. You need therapy, and and also you just don't need it portrayed in like a, you know, happy. You know, it just it's it it just gross. It makes my skin crawl. Yeah, are you ready to give the wrap up? <sighs> yeah, let's extinguish this flame. <laughs> so, thanks to a ridiculous plot and the insulting treatment of one of the series' central characters, arson and old lace comes out looking more like a dumpster fire and old toilet tissue. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.